10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon, the time is 1pm on Sunday the 26th of June and you're tuned in to the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Pastoral CPD returns today and we'll be talking about what it means to be racially literate and whether schools are doing enough to establish a community that can talk healthily and openly about issues of race. I'm looking forward to this show. I hope you can really tune in and talk it out. Live from London. This is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash LSW slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon. Wow, we've got some early birds today. I've already seen two people in the studio already. Thank you very much for joining so quickly. John's really funny, my partner. <laughs> oh, man. So let me just tell you a little story about, about this, about what's happening right now. We, my, my partner was in bed just now, like trying to sleep. And I actually broadcast from our bedroom. Yeah. And I was getting things set up. And she was there like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. You just get on with the show. And I said, you, I think you need to move because I just feel like you need to leave the room. I'm doing the show, blah, blah, blah. And then she's there snuggled up, snuggled up in bed um, and not moving. And then the show starts and I start to speak. And obviously I'm probably speaking quite loudly. And let me just tell you, she had a, what, about half an hour, 45 minutes to leave the room before the show. And she didn't. And as soon as I start to speak, slowly but surely, she gets up out of bed and leaves. So if you heard any kind of rustling or anything else in the background, that was her snaking out of the room um, when she should have just listened to me at the start. Now I can actually open my curtains and let some light into this room because I'm currently sitting in the dark. <laughs> I'm currently sitting in the dark because I was being very accommodative. So if you can hear anything in the background again, those are my curtains now opening. Let there be light. Welcome, Karen, Dale, Pete. Thank you for joining um so promptly i appreciate that i'm not used to people being in the studio so early usually the first five ten minutes is me just chatting to myself um about stuff that i feel like talking about as i mentioned in the introduction um i've been inspired to talk about racial literacy something do you know what let me be honest and i'm gonna be honest and frank when i became a host on teach talk radio i was thinking right how how much do i do i how much am i going to talk about race because that, i think at the time when i first joined now this is I'm going on on record here. I'm probably wrong, but I feel like I, would, I was definitely one. I might have been the only black male host on Teach Talk Radio at the time when I joined. Um, and I thought, hmm, do I? I was like, do I have a responsibility here to use my platform to talk about things that maybe don't appear on your average um, teachers' podcasts? And I've not really spoken about it for a while, and I've kind of it's been in the back of my mind. And then, um, and then yeah, more recently, I thought, you know what? Let me just chat about this. And disclaimer: I'm no expert on on this this isn't something that i've done a lot of research into this is i think just something that um is very relevant and very pertinent in in a lot of schools especially in, in your bigger city areas where you've got the more diverse um school populations and everything else but this is a conversation that should be had all across the uk well technically all across the world to be honest because we all talk about trying to create an anti-racist society but do we teach people what that actually means and all the nuances of it and everything else. And again, disclaimer, I'm no expert, no expert at all. I don't claim to be, 
Um, but I think it's it's be useful to have a discussion. Welcome, Karen. Thank you. Afternoon, Karen. Afternoon, Dale. And yeah, Pastoral Pete, long time no see, my friend. Long time. Yeah, I was going to say long time, mate. Um, but nice to see you in the studio. As always, I like to just look through my Twitter timeline to see what I've, what's up, what I've even been talking about this week before I even get into the main um, the main body of the show. Most most recently, I um I tweeted something about my phone. I don't know what you. I don't know if you lot are like me, but I've had a phone, but I don't. It's not a phone. It's only used for messaging and social media. I despise phone calls. I don't like them. I don't make them. Um, I don't know how many of you in the room are exactly like me, but I don't like phone calls. Um, never have, never will. And I don't like people calling me out of the blue. <laughs> like it better be if you're calling me out of the blue. This needs to be an emergency that you cannot communicate via text in the amount of time, like the amount of time it will take to type the message and send. If it can't, if it's more important than those few seconds, then call me fine. But send me a message. I'm very good on WhatsApp. Like my phone's always in my hand. My phone rings. It was my partner. My partner, she called me yesterday out of nowhere. And I looked at my phone like, why is my phone ringing? Why, like who is calling me? And I saw, I was like, why is she? I'm like, I, my first reaction, and she knows this. My first reaction was, why are you calling me? Just message me, just message me, please. Um, but then end up being something that was fairly important. So I understood, but I don't like making phone calls. So that's how I was, I tweeted that little reason. I don't know about, <laughs> like Dale said, Dale's in the chat saying he's the same with calls, um, especially the ones out of the blue. Agreed. Like if you want to chat, I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I think it's because it requires too much, too much of my attention, like unjustly so. This conversation needs to be really important. Because when you're on the phone, I feel like I find I find it more difficult to, well, first of all, you can't really talk to anyone else at the time properly. You have to give more of your attention to the phone call than you do normally. And I feel like you need to justify that with the, the topic of conversation. This needs to be really, really important for us to have a phone conversation about it. Because I, I don't think many conversations are. <laughs> I don't think many conversations are that important for me not to be able to talk to someone else at the same time. So, um, yeah, I don't call anyone. I, I just message people. I, gen I can't remember the last time I called someone and had a conversation, like a proper chat, like a chit-chat, like, how's it going? That kind of stuff. I don't do it. I don't do it. If I want to know how, you, how it's going, I'll message you and then we'll have a conversation that way and we'll both take our sweet time and reply. I feel like it's too much pressure. I don't like it. Don't like it at all. Um, <laughs> um, Pete, <laughs> maybe we're all just, just antisocial. This whole show is about being anti-racist, but we're, this show maybe needs to be about being antisocial. We're all antisocial. Pete says 100% the same. Um, Pete said, don't call me off a withheld number. Only, <laughs> only he can do that after a day at work. Correct. I don't answer private numbers. Um, I don't answer private numbers at all. Um, and Dale said, a phone call can be so much of a mental effort after a day at work. And like, the problem, I think it's, there's so many, because you have to feel... You can probably think, Chloe, you probably have no issue filling silences because I managed to talk for an hour and a half on my own without anyone else talking to me. But on the phone, I feel like there's too much, there's too much pressure, man. There's too much pressure having to talk. And when there's a, when there's a silence, I feel too much pressure to have to fill it. And I don't want to go on to say, and I just feel like, can we just end this now? And then we can have the silence when I open a message and don't respond straight away. Oh, just me. Maybe more. It's definitely not just me. I like that everyone else feels exactly the same way. That's in the room. Is there, anyone, is there anyone that loves phone calls? Anyone in the room that actually likes them and hates messaging? I wonder, because it's not me. But yeah, that's that's something that I was talking about this week. Um, what else came up this week? 
Oh, wow. Do you know the next tweet I did was around blooming? <laughs> so uh, Cameron's in the chat. Cameron, nice to join. Cameron said, if it needs voice, send a WhatsApp voice message. Then I'll <laughs> then he will decide whether it makes it to the, the, the phone call stage. So the, that's Cameron's kind of like middle ground vetting procedure. If it's, if it's, if it's too long to be sent by text if it's too Joe with those messages where you need to actually hear the tone of voice you need to actually it's too long to type I get that voice notes I don't mind but, but maybe Pete I don't think Pete likes voice notes but um and then Cameron said he'll decide whether he'll call them back or not or whether he maybe send a voice note Pete what's your issue with voice notes Pete's just responded saying whoa voice notes I'm assuming he's not a fan <laughs> Pete said no no voice notes are they worse are they worse than phone calls? Surely not. You don't have to. You don't have to reply. I don't mind. I don't send voice notes often, um, unless I'm. I don't know if my hands are tied. Not literally, but figuratively speaking, if I'm if I'm doing something with my hands, that I might send a voice note rather than call. But interesting. Pete says he prefers phone calls. Of yeah. Do you know what? Do you know what I don't like? And I feel like the younger generation do this more than us. Um, the back. And, I don't get involved in back and forth voice note conversations. I don't like that because what happens is you someone sends you like a minute 30 voice note and then you get to the end of the voice note and you straight away hold down the record button to reply and immediately you know what happens you know what happens you've forgotten everything they said in that minute and a half so you spend the first 30 seconds being like what what did you even say and then you have to redo the voice note because you end up just rambling because you forgot what they even said so yeah, I don't I don't like voice note conversations because I feel like they they they're more they're too complicated. You can't reply in the time. They say too many things at one time for you to be able to reply cogently. And then by the time you try to send a voice note in response, you spend most of the time ref- trying to remember what they even said. You almost have to take notes down during their voice note to be able to reply in a way that actually makes sense. Nah, man, count me out. Count me out. Count me out of the count me out the voice notes. Um, interesting. So Karen has said that she loves a voice note. Um, but what she does, ah, interesting. So what Karen does is she types the reply as she's listening to the voice note. So we've got some life hacks going on in the room at the moment. So, um, as they're voice noting to you, you type your replies, you pause it and it's like, ah, oh, just sounds like a lot of hassle to me, boy. And Pete says, <laughs> Pete says he doesn't like voice notes because he reserves the right to butt in. Yeah, he said, nah, don't don't just talk. I need to interject, please. So he doesn't like voice notes for that reason. Um <laughs> oh, I love you. I love you a lot, man. Cameron says, if they send a voice note and you reply with a text, and then they come back with and then they come back with another voice note, they have failed to read the room. I get it. That's your like you can voice note me, but I'm gonna text you back. So this is me saying, um, that's my way of communicating. I don't want a voice note you mate. Please just send me a message. Um, read the read the room. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, and Dale Dale's voice over phone call over voice note. I wonder if we should do a Twitter poll and, and put them in a rank order about what people prefer: messaging, phone calls, or voice note conversations. I'm going to assume it would come out as I. For me, I think it is. For me personally, messaging is my preference. Then there's a massive gap. Messaging is first place, third, second place, third place, fourth place. And then phone calls come in fifth. And then voice notes come in sixth. Um, something like that. There's a massive gap. I just don't like talking to people on the phone. I like messaging. Either way, 
How have I managed to talk about voice notes for 10 minutes? Crazy. Um, the other thing I was talking about, this worst I'll talk about. Oh my, do you know what the worst thing is now? I look at my timeline at the end of the week when I do my show and all I'm tweeting about is Love Island. And it's actually quite, it's actually quite depressing that that is what I'm tweeting about most of the time now. I'm there saying, yep, yep, safeguarding well-being, pastoral CPD. And most of my tweets about the uh, uh, a rubbish show. Like, it's a, it's a rubbish show. It's a rubbish show. Take away Twitter and Love Island is just pants. Um, I only watch Love Island to be on Twitter. I only watch Love Island because of Twitter um, nowadays, because even I can appreciate that it's poor. Um, but yeah, you know, you know what it is. Okay, cool. Um, let's just get into this conversation now, because I think I've had enough of my 15 minute rambles. <laughs> Anyone that's listening on playback. Oh, by the way, let me get through some housekeeping. If you do want to, if you do want to listen on playback or, or you've just tuned in and thought, oh, let me go listen to some more of this guy on Teacher Talk Radio. He sounds quite entertaining. And everyone else is on Teacher Talk Radio as well. Then head to www.ttradio.org forward slash listen back um, or head to our Twitter at ttradio2022. Or you can follow me specifically on Twitter um, at Khalil underscore R91. And I was cracking up just then because Pastoral Pete said he'd take, he'll take a voice note over Love Island. So he's not a... Uh, He's not a Love Island fan. Oh, do you know I remembered? I've not had a show since it was hot as hell around school. When was that last? When was it really hot? Last Friday? Something like that? That was ridiculous. Do you know the most ridiculous thing about all of this? I still had to wear a shirt and a tie and trousers. Like the whole, like I'm, it I'm, actually vexes me. It vexes me that I have to go to work or I feel compelled to have to go to work still wearing trousers. And the problem is if they were like linen trousers, I could, I could, I could work. I would never wear linen trousers for the record. But if they were light trousers and they're a bit airy, I could do it. But you know those suit trousers, like especially because I wear slim fit, because I think I'm stylish. Slim fit trousers in the heat. My trousers are rubbish colors for the sun, black and blue, great, like just awful colors, and it just annoys me. Why am I teaching? And I want to bust a sweat. Like it doesn't. I don't like. I don't like it. I want to come to work in shorts, and I want to come. These I posted a a photo didn't I a while ago of that of this random model male model wearing a, a shorts suit is what I'd call it and that's what ideally that's what I want to wear um and I want it to be socially acceptable for me to go to work wearing shorts if I'm not a PE teacher but I've heard I've heard there are some schools in the country where the male members of staff um are there is like a male well I say it's not a male staff are allowed to come to school in like chino shorts in the summer I don't know where that school is, but I want to work there. Don't know where that school is, I want to work there. Okay, cool. Let's get into the main topic of the show um, because I know that's what you're all here for. Let's get into this. All things racial literacy and everything else after I do a quick bit of transition music just because I want to. Cool. In the previous show that I did around issues of race with Cameron, which was two weeks ago, I like to define, like, we had to define our terms. And I think in our other shows, I always, I want to define terms. We're all on the same page here. When you, so question for you lot in the room, you're all educators. You should be quite intelligent people. You went to uni, you got your degrees. When you hear the phrase being, well, racial literacy or being racially literate, what does it mean to you? I'm not going to act like I am some expert in the field or 
I've always been using the term racial literacy as I've been growing up because I haven't. But it is a term that I keep, that's been kind of coined and used more recently in the, and you could become more prevalently anyway, in the on blogs, articles, news articles, everything else. So when you hear racial literacy, what does it mean to you? That's my question. Does it mean anything to you? Or you're not sure about what it means? Yeah, what does it mean to you when, when, someone, when someone says, oh, we want to promote racial literacy? What does it mean? So I'm looking for some definitions in the room before I reveal the answer. I'm going to leave you some thinking time while hopefully your fingers are tap, tap, tapping in the Podbean studio. So I'll ask the question one more time in, in good teacher fashion. If, what does it mean to become racially literate, literate as an educator? Do you consider yourself, let's be reflective on this Sunday afternoon. Do you consider yourself be racially literate? If not, why not? And if you do, why? Interesting how the room is very quiet on this one. All you're more than happy to talk about voice notes and messaging and phone calls. But when I'm asking those tricky questions, everyone goes quiet. Maybe we're all here to learn. I've done a little bit of research into it and I've looked at some articles and everything else. And this is what, so there was a, I think it was a, um, a piece of work. Oh, Karen's come in. There we go, Karen. Thank you very much. So Karen said for her, being racially literate means understanding the meaning behind words used to discuss, describe, and critically think about race and what race is. And then she's talking about critical race theory, eugenics, and so on and so forth. Um, the article that I'm looking at, so one on SecEd that I kind of spoke about in my tweets, um, speaks, uh, defines it as, it's got a number of bullet points, and it says, to be racially literate, it means that educators we're talking about educators in this case, because obviously we're talking about schools. Number one, engage with the emotional content of any conversation that has a focus on race, um, that they welcome personal narratives and the lived experiences of all who are involved in the race conversation. They're able to talk confidently about their own racial identity. They're able to challenge racism at individual, group and system level and they feel confident in creating and engaging in healthy and reciprocal cross-racial, um, it says relationships, but I think they mean kind of like conversations, cross-racial, I'm gonna use cross-racial racial conversations and interactions and that kind of stuff. So when you hear those five different subsets of this racial literacy, do you think that's prevalent in the school you work in? Do you think every member of staff is able to engage with emotional content of conversations that have a focus on race? Do you think that every member of staff will, will naturally welcome a personal narrative on the lived experience of anyone talking about their race? Are they able to even talk confidently confident about their own racial identity? Do you think every member of staff will challenge racism at an individual group and a system level? Will they challenge it? And does every member of staff feel confident in create this? I think this is one of the most important on a day to day, but does every member of staff feel confident in creating and engaging in healthy and reciprocal cross-racial conversations? Because if the answer to any of those is a resounding no, then in my humble opinion, again, I'm not, I'm not telling you what to think or what, in my humble opinion, there's a gap. And then if it's important to your school community, which you, I would hope it is, then there's a, there's a pastoral CPD gap, hashtag pastoral CPD, cheeky plug. Um, there's a gap there and it's not easy. And I'm not gonna, 
Um, <laughs> um, Karen's come in and said, Karen, in answer to my question, she's saying, absolutely not. It's such a personal development. And she's saying there's definitely about teaching staff how to do this. It is, because let me, like, I, I, as, well, you may not know, I'm a black man. And I'm, I have lived on this earth for over 30, more than, over 30 years. And I would not act like I've been, I, I am an expert in all things like understanding. I've not grown up and been au fait with knowing the, the specific differences between racism versus prejudice versus, well, those are the main two, I guess. The difference between racism and prejudice, for example. I didn't grow up knowing that for certain. I had to do some research and actually interact with people that knew more than me because it just wasn't something that um, I looked into myself when I was growing up for whatever reason. And then as I've got into adulthood and everything else, I've had to try and develop my own understanding of the differences. But I do that so that I can explain it to kids because what's like, I can't have a conversation with a child. Well, I can, but I wouldn't, I want to go into a conversation making sure I have an understanding of the differences between what racism is and what racial prejudice is in terms of racism being structural, systemic, to do with power and everything else. Whereas racial prejudice is harboring um, either feelings or um, judgments or, um, well, prejudices, preconceptions about anyone on account of their race or treating someone or racial discrimination where you treat them differently because of their race and everything else. That all those three, those three things, prejudices, discrimination and racism, they're all, they've all got their own kind of like separate definitions that, that get conflated. They get conflated. And if I don't know them, then I'm going to guarantee there's a lot of people out there. I'm not saying because I'm not all knowing. I'm not all knowing at all, but I'm just saying, I know if I don't know them, then there'll be a lot of people also that don't. And there'll be some people that do, but a lot of people that don't. And you know, there's a lot of organizations that go into workplaces and they teach them about what, what about what white privilege actually means and everything else to do with microaggressions and systemic racism. And they teach in the adult world about what it means so that people that are, so that managers and line managers and the staff and everyone from top down has a better understanding of all these terms. But I'm not aware of the same focus happening in schools across the board. But you would argue that's even more important that we do the work with the young people who are supposed to be the ones who at this age are the people that we're trying to mold into becoming um, actively anti-racist as opposed to just complicit or quiet or silent. So surely there's a more need for teachers and educators, the people that, that interact with young people on a daily basis. There's a growing need for them to actually understand what, for example, I don't know, um, white privilege means because that's already something that is completely misconstrued by a lot of people. Yeah, they think it, some people think it means just because you're white, it means life is great all the time. Just because you're white, it means that you're going to have it easy all the time. That's not really what white privilege means, in my opinion. I may be wrong. Please challenge me. But when you have privileges, it means certain things are afforded to you that you're often not even aware of. There are certain, there are certain beneficial treatments or you're treated comparatively better just because of the fact that you end up, that you happen to be white. And it may not be an active thing where you actually get this tangible benefit, but if another person would have been treated worse and they weren't white and you're kind of treated comparatively therefore better, 
then you've been you're in a privileged position. I'm not saying you're well off. I'm not saying you're a you're a millionaire. I'm not saying you can't have white people that struggle. But that's what that's what I've understood white privilege to mean. But I may be wrong. Please challenge me. That's what I've understood it to mean. Just like you have straight. If you're a straight man, there are certain privileges that you might not be aware of compared to if you're a gay man, for example. Yeah. So so like certain you get treated in a better way sometimes. I'm not saying it's a tangible thing. You just don't get treated worse. Those are privileges. And that's what I've understood it to mean. Again, so like, I'm not going to claim to be an expert. I'm no, I'm no expert whatsoever. I'm just trying to open the conversation. Just trying to open the conversation. Um, Karen said that she's actually gone for the role of racial justice, diversity, and inclusion lead. Wowzers. I actually love, like, I, I love the fact that there are roles dedicated to that. Um, and Karen's gone on to say more roles like this are necessary. That's how you raise a profile. If it's an important issue, then there should be someone that is that is kind of the lead on it. If it's important in a school, you have curriculum lead, pastoral lead, safeguarding lead. If race, if racial justice or racial equality or whatever you want to call it is an important issue, then yeah, you should put a title to it, name it, and actually do some work on it. But you have to name it first. You have to recognize the need for it, and there should be a need in every school. Um, and then Cameron's respond. I think he was. I think he was responding to whether when I was asking whether people in, in the school are racially literate. I think he said, well, he said no, but we need to normalize these conversations. People are more confident to speak about things they know about. He's saying, I can confidently have a conversation about Thai culture because I've lived in and know it. People need to educate themselves as well, though it can't be on the minorities to consistently have to educate the majority. Um, and he said, he's mowing the lawn at the moment, so there might be some tupos. <laughs> Do you know what? The funniest bit there, the irony is there were very few typos in your actual body, your text, main text body, but then your typo was the word typo, which is hilarious. The irony, the irony tickled me there. Um, and then Karen said, yeah, equality leads, diversity, inclusion leads, et cetera. And agreed. So yeah, it's about language. So I think um, Cameron said we need to normalize conversations and Karen's responded saying she likes, she prefers to use the word usualize rather than normalize because what we're talking about isn't abnormal and we're just trying to make it more com more usual, more common, more commonplace. It's currently not, it shouldn't be, it's not not normal. It's just not done at the moment. In the same way that someone's above average or below average, doesn't mean they're abnormal. It just means they're different to what's com commonplace. Language is a powerful thing. Language is powerful. So yeah, so the question then becomes kind of what do we do? And what I want to ask you, like, I want to actually talk about some scenarios because I think that's most powerful there is a training gap i'm not going to start talking about um how to specifically train people but in your schools where do issues of race come up and then what what are we saying so what are the most common issues of race that come up in your schools because i'm gonna i want to make this helpful for anyone that's listening so in in i can think about my schools there are different race issues of race come up in in different ways of course i think the most kind of serious way is the, well, the most kind of severe ways, obviously you've got things around racial discrimination, racial racist bullying and so on and so forth. In my opinion, I feel like those most extreme versions are the easiest to deal with in terms of, oh, we can show that we're anti-racist because our policies say that anyone who's found to have been um, racially discriminatory towards any group, whether it's black, whether it's 
um, a religious subset, Jude, a Jew towards Jewish people or whatever else. Like there's different, of course, a different category. I'm not just talking about towards black people. Um, I feel like those instances are the easiest because it's cut and dry. It's like they've done something that's that's quite clearly either racist or racially prejudicial or race, racially discriminatory. That's a lot of ways. And then we've put a sanction in place and we've come down hard on it with zero tolerance. Yeah, that's the easy stuff. But the, the more nuanced things are the more difficult to deal with in schools. So my question too is when do issues of race come up where it's a bit more tricky, where staff find it a bit more difficult to actually deal with? Usually because they haven't actually had the chance, they haven't had any experiences. Maybe it's the first time they've come across these instances and they don't actually know what to do or what to say. It can be quite difficult. As Cameron said, people are confident to, to talk about what they know. And if you are a teacher who's never really interacted with anyone who of a, of a race different to your own, having a conversation with someone about that is going to be quite difficult, challenging, awkward, whatever word you want to use. Um, so yeah, Karen said, yes, swastikas being drawn, seen that. Um, again, like that's quite clear. If you know who's drawn it, they can't really justify. There's no really, they can not usually justify any kind of legitimate need to be drawing a symbol like that. And if they definitely know what the symbol stands for and what it con and the connotations, everything else, then it's kind of dry. But for me, when I was thinking about what the kind of the difficult situations that occur in schools that staff need to actually have specific training on, I think about when you have a group of students of with a collective identity, whether it's an ethnicity or a race. So for example, I don't know, a group of um, Indian students, a group of students who are from, some are from India, some are from Sri Lanka, some are from Pakistan. Maybe you can have a group of students that are majority black, but then you've got black Caribbean, maybe the black African, you've got Nigerians mixed with Ghanaians and so on. What happens in the situations if you're a staff member and you encounter over here groups with some shared ethnic, ethnic identity being, well, you know what kids are like, they try to joke about it, being jokely offensive to one another. How do you, what's the advice to staff in those situations? Yeah, if you're if you're if you're a white member of staff and you walk and you're you look and there's a group of um, South Asian students all then talking about each other's heritage in a way that they're all laughing and finding it funny, but they're one person from Pakistan is cussing the person from India about being Indian, the person from India is cussing the person from Sri Lanka about being Sri Lankan. What's the advice for staff and how to deal with that? I'm asking the question because I don't have all the answers, but there's a lot of there's a lot of expertise in the room. We've got leaders of schools in here but what advice do we give to staff in those situations do you challenge that in the same way is it as bad like staff have these questions they're like is this is this something i need to challenge is this is this bad is this racist is this racially prejudicial they might have all these questions and no one's given them any answers so that's what i'm talking about there, there is a bit of a gap there so what advice are we giving them I'm just going to wait for, I'm hoping that the room is going to give me something to feed because I have my answers. Well, I say answers, I have my opinion always. But what advice do you give staff? I'm going to say it again. Nissi, welcome. Um, I'll say it again. So I am aware of a lot of situations in schools where it's a group of kids. They're, they are mates. They're usually friends. Um, and they're from, they've got some form of shared ethnic identity. So they could all be of a South Asian heritage, for example. They could all be of a black heritage, for example. But what they're doing is they're interacting in a way where they're actually insulting in what they believe is a jokey way, insulting each other's ident cultures or heritages or countries of origin. So you've got like a Sri Lankan talking to an Indian about 
this and they're all laughing about it. it's ha 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 it's funny the indians then cussing the guy from the from pakistan from pakistan and so on and so forth if you're a staff member and you observe this or you witness this or you overhear it what's the guidance there what does a staff member what should a staff member be saying that shows the right stance but also an understanding of context difficult question i know i'm posing it to the i'm posing it to the to the experts in the room and then I'll obviously feed off yours and give my own opinions as well. Cause I've had to deal with this and I've had to give advice on it. Um, so Pete's come in and Pete said he would challenge, he would expect it to be challenged, but I'm gonna press you on that one, Pete. Challenge in what way? Challenge in what, what if the kid says, yeah, but it can't be, I can't, you know, it's a joke. I can't, I can't be racist because I'm from the, I'm Asian as well. Yeah, do you know when an, in, if an Indian person cusses another, cause I said Indian and Sri Lankan, but what about if an Indian person cusses another Indian person? of a black kid from Nigeria cuts another black kid from Nigeria about something to do with being black. I don't know. What do you say in those situations? Because I know what kids say. Kids come back and say, no, 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 I can't be, I can't be racist because I'm like, it's not racist, it's a joke. It's impossible. Can't be racist. What do you say then? <laughs> um, so then Karen said, yeah, challenge it the same. She's saying it's xenophobic, it's xenophobic, xenophobic behavior. Agreed. I think it's more cut and dry if it's Indian to Sri Lankan. I agree. But let me make it more controversial. Um, black Caribbean on Black Caribbean, talking about, I don't know, some stupid stereotype about Caribbean fathers. I don't know, some one of those awful stereotypes. I don't know, something about that. Um, Karen said, same way that she would challenge homophobia or anti-Semitism or, or Semitism or Islamophobia. Um, and then Pete's come back and said, they had a recent example of a student, um, no, a recent example where a student of Black Caribbean heritage insulted another of Black African heritage. Um, we challenged it and dealt with it as discriminatory behavior and parents argued it's not racism. See, this is where it, this, and then I think Cameron's come in and said, this is where it gets, where it gets difficult. Because it needs to be challenged and the children need to be educated about what is and isn't acceptable um, in terms of, I, there's, there's, there is irony when a person of black Caribbean heritage insults someone of a black African heritage about something to do with being black. And then the irony is that when we know you, we assume you're actually, you don't mean everything you say literally because then you would be saying it usually about yourself. So there's a bit of irony there, which you can only really have if you are of the same origin when you're saying that those things. However, there's a bigger piece of work there about how we then teach kids what is and isn't acceptable because it becomes very inverted common like commonplace to just cuss people of like in in a black black caribbean versus black african there's a lot of that and it's become and it's been it's been it has been normalized like it's funny ah it's funny let me just i'm going to cuss someone from africa because i'm from the caribbean and they're going to cuss someone from the caribbean because they're from africa but it needs to be challenged we've put people in internal exclusion um for making a joke well what they thought was a joke about was it was a black person to another black child to another black child and they end up being internal exclusion because you need to explain to them that no tech like the parents argue it's not racism it's not because that's this is where definitions come in this is where definitions come in this is my opinion on it pete because the parents argue it's not racism i would say it's not racism in the in the in the pure sense of racism in terms of racism being structural racism being about um like i said in the beginning power and systems, but I would say it's, it is racially prejudicial. And if, because what I say to kids often is, the comment you made to this child 
would you have made the same comment if they were white or Asian or whatever else? If they say no, when you're thinking, right, so that means your comment is now, you're making the comment based on another person's race. And then it's about whether your comment is a positive comment or one that could be offensive on the surface. Like literally, is it an offensive comment on the in the literal sense? The words that you said or the comment you made, is it offensive in its purest, most literal sense? If the answer to that is yes, then you've made a racially prejudicial, unkind comment. Just because you think it's funny or you think it's a joke or you didn't, inverted commas, didn't mean it, doesn't mean it's acceptable. So is it racist? Is it an example of racism? No. Is it an example of racial prejudice? Yes. And that's where the kind of nuances of, of definition um, are quite important. But not everyone understands that. And I'm not going to act like I'm an expert. This is my understanding of it. Um, indeed. Cameron's come back and said, this way it gets difficult. He said, yes, challenge it, but it's likely me laughing at... So, challenge it, but it's... He's he given an example of he could laugh at a joke that Kevin Hart might make about a black person. Um, should we even be laughing? And then Karen said, well, if there's a discrimination policy, they just follow that. Dale's come back and said, ask... So, advice being ask questions from the kids from an, empathet an empathetic perspective. Um, why have you said that? How would you feel if... Indeed, I think it's... How would you feel if someone that wasn't black said that exact same comment to you? And often they'd be like, well, I wouldn't like it. And you say, right, so that means the actual words that were used aren't nice. You just think it's okay because you're of, you, you look the same as the person you're saying it about. But the actual words you used weren't nice. And we're challenging that because it's not a culture we want to, to have permeate the school. We don't want a culture where people think it's okay that you can just cuss each other as long as you look the same. Inverted commas look the same. Um... And then uh, Karen said, either way is prejudice. And yeah, Karen also said, agreed, they are in the restorative practice. And this is the question I was asking before, who is equipped in your school to have these conversations? Because I'm going to be honest, there aren't like, I, when I'm in a, I, there's not many black staff in the school on where I work. And I know, and I've noticed that whenever there's been a thing like this in school, people do come to me. And I think they either, consciously or subconsciously want, how am I going to phrase, want me or think I'm best equipped to deal with it because I'm, because I'm black. And you know what? They're probably right. But at the same time, we need to empower staff to also feel comfortable talking about it. So a white member of staff talking to two Asian students about why it's unacceptable to be um, cussing one another about your 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 different heritages, even though inverted commas you have a shared in ethnicity or you inverted commas look the same or whatever else. It shouldn't be just up to the black staff to talk to black students. It shouldn't be after the the white staff talk to white and everything else. It shouldn't be like that. But are we empowering all our staff to do that? I definitely feel confident enough, and I think that's because I'm an ethnic minority and. I can just talk to the, I can happily talk to the black students about their interactions. And it often gets a lot more deep. It often turns into questions around that, that questions around internalization of like internalization of prejudice, internalization of, um, well, internalization of, of, of the, the legacy of racism, for example. But I feel comfortable speaking about it. I wouldn't expect someone who's not black to feel comfortable to be, to be broaching that conversation. So it gets a bit difficult. It gets, it gets very difficult, man. 
But I think as a minimum, you would want to equip staff and train them about how to have a conversation. And most of the time, it's about the questions rather, it's about the questions you ask rather than the words you say as a teacher. What These are the kind of questions you should be asking students in this situation. Like Dale said, talking about what you said, take the, the comment out of context, what would it mean? Would you have said the same comment if the person were of a different race? How do you think it would, how would it be received if someone of a different race said the exact same comment? If you can provide staff with questions like that, then that will equip them and empower them because I feel a lot of staff may go into those conversations feeling a little bit awkward and a little bit uncomfortable. How do I talk to two black kids about why this is wrong? Am I even the person to tell them why it's wrong or should I just ask them questions and let them discover it and understand it for themselves? Because obviously I feel like that's a better approach. But how many schools have that? My school doesn't have it. How many schools have that? Karen, you're becoming the, the, the lead for racial justice and everything else. I think you need to create something and then share it. <laughs> I want a bank of questions, Karen, that are that can help staff to manage those conversations. Because often when, it, when we have conversations around race, if you are not of the, the race in question, then your role is more of a facilitator often. Your role is not to be a voice of wisdom or a voice of insight. Your role is to be a facilitator and facilitators ask questions. Oh, I've missed Teach Talk Radio. Who allowed me to come on radio and just preach to people? Crazy. Right, people, people have um, come in the chat. So Nissi's come in and said, uh, this is it. I asked them the same thing. I think that's in response to what Dale was saying. Um, Dale said, what is the culture in the school which SLT have established and maintained? Are the SLT teams ethnic, ethnically diverse? Have SLT established a culture of ongoing irrelevant CPD? And do some staff have knowledge and expertise to lead others in the area? I would say in a lot of schools, no. Yeah, if, you're, if, you're, if, your, team, if your SLT isn't diverse, then it's unlikely that it will be one of their mm, conscious priorities. I'm going to phrase it like that. It will need to be put in front of them as this is a priority, we need to prioritize. I don't think they go into that role thinking, right, we need to do some work around um, racial literacy because it, unless someone has told them that they need to do it, I feel, because it hasn't been anything that's affected them in their, in their lived experience. So why would, you, why would I expect it to be their priority? I wouldn't expect it. But what I would hope is that if someone brought it to them and said, we need to do some work because there's a growing issue in school at the moment, students and staff not being equipped here, this needs to be made a priority. I would hope and expect that a school senior leader would agree and would do some work on it and would then seek support and from people who actually are skilled in the in the field. Um, oh yeah, indeed, Nissi, yeah, correct. Nissi's come back and said, um, I think this is was in response to me saying that when there are issues between black kids where it's been discriminate, where it's been some racial prejudice between black students, um, and they just kind of, it does come to me as being, oh, go deal with it, please. Could you deal with it kind of thing? Nissi said, well, that's still problematic because again, just because you're black doesn't automatically mean you've got the confidence or the knowledge to tackle it, which is correct. So everyone needs the training. Everyone needs to have their eyes opened. Um, indeed. And then I think Dale said, intent is one thing, but implementation and constant evaluation are crucial. That's in response to what the SLT are doing. 
have they actually got a culture of ongoing and relevant CPD? Is it a, was it a one-off training session or is it an actual cultural change, a cultural shift? Um, then Karen said, I feel empowered by the fact as a biology teacher, I can have conversations from a genetic point of view and get them to critically think about place and then bring science into their thinking. I don't understand what you're talking about, but <laughs> please, please, please explain. Um, and then, oh, the next kind of comments around Nissi telling people how to pronounce her son, how to pronounce her name. And then Karen said, everyone needs some no opt-out training, starting with unconscious bias. I'm going to applaud. Unconscious bias needs to be a focus of training. Unconscious bias is something that needs to be tackled head on because we all have it. We all have it. Regardless, we have unconscious bias around our own race, other races, other like people's age. We all have it. It needs to be tackled straight on. And I think the main focus is there's there's nothing inherently wrong with having unconscious bias because we all have it. It's about what you do with it and it's about whether you acknowledge it and it's about whether you even want to change it because we're all going to have it. But you need to first you need to accept it and acknowledge it and then actively challenge yourself and challenge your own biases and prejudices, prejudices and acknowledge your own experiences. If you've grown up in a society that has been monoracial, is that even a thing where people all kind of come from the same same ethnicity? Well, then you've probably not interacted with many other people. So you probably develop some prejudices and some unconscious biases about people that look a certain way. Cool, fine. But what are you doing about it? And now let's open your eyes to the fact that you probably have these. What are you going to do about it? How do you then be better? Um, hello, Joe. Nice of you to join. So then Cameron said, if making a joke about someone from the same ethnicity is wrong in every situation, then we have a lot of black comics who need to be cancelled. Is it ever appropriate at school? No. feel <laughs> like this might get controversial. Cancelled. Wowzers. The thing is, right, comedians are in... I don't know. I think there's a difference between com comedy and school. Yeah, comedian. some of the most funny comedy is like the most close to the bone comedy and it's the things that and comedians have the kind of license in their role to say things that most people won't say because it can be under the guise of well i'm just trying to make people laugh you're not supposed to take me seriously kind of thing um and yeah i, I don't put i put them in a separate category do i think everything comedians say is acceptable no do I laugh? Yeah. Should I always laugh? Pfft, well, who can tell me what I should or shouldn't do? But yeah, comedians different to school. School is a place of we're actually we're actually trying to mold these young people to becoming better, um, well, all-rounded citizens. Everything else. I feel like com I feel like comedy is different personally. I feel like it's, it's its own its own its own thing, isn't it? Um, yeah. And then so yeah, Nissi said. This is the part where she gets stuck because comedy is meant to shock you. That's why it's one of those things. You know, when someone cracks a joke, it's like, ooh. And then, then you start laughing because you're like, wow, that's rocked me. How's he, how's he even said that? Now I'm going to laugh because it actually is funny. Um, yeah, I think comedy is different, personally. I haven't, I haven't given an answer to that. I'm just rambling on that point. Pete said, we are a school where over 20% of students require EAL support or are international new arrivals. We have a vigilant culture and support staff, but further training is needed for sure in relation to racial literacy. I agree. I think most schools are in that situation. I don't know much about schools across the country, but I, I, I would imagine that the majority have. There's always more work to do. Um, 
EAL and international students alongside a very ethnically diverse community. And then Pete said that he's been looking at unconscious bias today and has put a link in the chat, which I'm assuming is to do with unconscious bias. And I think, yeah, it's one of those things. It's it, it'd be put and it puts people in a very awkward situation. It's an uncomfortable thing to talk about acknowledging your your biases or your prejudice. That's uncomfortable for a lot of people. Good. Yeah, in the same way mistakes help people learn, being put in those kind of uncomfortable situations to to actually come to terms with your own biases is good for your development. Don't just sweep it under the carpet and act like it's not there. No, 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 I can't be, not me, not me. Nonsense, it happens to everyone. Um, and then Cameron Zen said, agree, but the child at school might be a buddy. <laughs> Come on, Cameron. <laughs> Cameron said, the child at school might be a budding comic holding their craft, need to teach time and place. And yeah, appropriate setting, indeed. Context is everything. What we're going to do, we've reached kind of the halfway point. We will continue this conversation because I want to talk about um, the other situation where students make allegations against staff members because Nissy's actually in the room. Her post absolutely blew up on this exact thing. Um, so if you have just joined, that first little bit was around how to deal with issues like in intra-racial prejudice. prejudice. I think that's right. Intra-racial. I like that. So it's within one broad race, but there's prejudices there, how to deal with it. I think the main takeaways here is you still need, it needs to be challenged. We can't allow students to think it's acceptable. We can't like, you can't just laugh along and think, ah, we know you're joking, so it's fine. Because as soon as you endorse it, they're going to go away thinking it's fine. Regardless of whether you're of that race or not, it should be challenged. But then it's about how do you have the, the conversation afterwards? Do you just sanction and move on? Or do you open their eyes and their ears to actually understanding why it's not acceptable? Because they're kids, we need to mold them and teach them. I think you need to give staff guidance around the kind of questions they should be asking kids. For example, if we take those words out of context, what would it mean? If someone that's not of the same ethnicity said them, how would you feel? Would you say this comment to your mum or your dad or your brother or your sister? If not, why? Why do you think it's appropriate to say in school now if you wouldn't say it to the, someone else? All those kind of things any teacher could ask regardless of their own race or ethnicity. And I think if you want to create a, a racially literate staff body, those kind of things need to be tackled head on because you can't just assume people know how to deal with it because a lot of people don't because they've never, they've never had to. And Karen's... And then to round it off, Karen said, it's all about teaching empathy alongside too. Agreed. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Thank you for your input so far. We'll take a eight, I think it's about an eight or nine minute break for the news and the sponsors and everything else. And on the other side of the news and the sponsors, we'll talk about dealing with those situations where kids make allegations of racism against staff. <laughs> I'm not laughing about that, sorry. If you're listening back, you just hear me laughing randomly, man. Um, Cameron's finished off by saying, Cameron's, Cameron's finished off by saying, he feels like he needs to drop a voice note um, in here to fully explain what he means. Harks back to the start of this show. And yeah, Pete, no worries, mate. I'll catch you on the other side of this. Very, very funny, very, very funny, man. Right, I'll see you guys on the other side of this. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, 
the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.wetherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. Stevewoods.co.uk for educational support in IT and computer science. Coming up, I'm delivering a number of courses. Learn to program in Python is a free one-hour course designed to start you on your way into Python coding. Everything works in a browser, so there's nothing to install beforehand. Join me remotely to learn the basics on Wednesday the 8th of June, 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Visit stevewoods.co.uk to start your journey. Are you a state school teacher in England? Why not be a hero this half-term and join me for two days and receive up to 1,360 pounds in bursary terms and conditions apply find out more at stevewoods.co.uk here at Witherslack Group, we are celebrating the launch of our new Luxborough Court School in Chigwell, Essex, with a very special one-day autism conference titled Enabling Inspirational Education. Taking place on Wednesday the 29th of June from 10am at Luxborough Court School, our event is dedicated to providing practical advice to education professionals working with neurodiverse children and young people. The event is free to attend and presentations on the day will focus on creating cultures of aspiration and excellence, supporting the emotional well-being of pupils, autism-friendly classrooms and managing challenging behaviour. So, whether you're looking to add to your extensive understanding or are new to SEN and wanting to build your knowledge, our conference will offer an amazing opportunity to engage with experts and network with colleagues from across the sector. Don't miss your chance to claim your free ticket and we hope you can join us for what's sure to be a fantastic day. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash events to register or contact events at witherslackgroup.co.uk for more information. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. The Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, has called for all pupils in primary schools to receive free school meals. He wants an urgent expansion of the scheme to include all students in years 3, 4 and 5, regardless of household income. He said, free school meals were something my family relied upon, and every child in London deserves that safety net. With the summer holidays on the horizon, it is essential that the government act now to reinstate the meal voucher system to give families dignity and nutritional choice over the summer. This should then be followed by the introduction of universal free school meals
for all primary school children from the start of the new school year in September. Multiple London councils are already leading the way on this and showing what can be done if we put the health and well-being of our young people first in such perilous economic times. It is time for the government to step up. Official figures show that inflation reached 9% in April as the cost of food, energy and transport surges and is expected to reach 11% later this year. Polling by YouGov found that 83% of adults in London say their household cost of living has increased over the last six months. The NAS UWT Teachers Union is calling for a 12% pay increase for teachers this year and has said it will ballot members in England, Wales and Scotland for industrial action if its demands are not met. Dr Patrick Roach, NAS UWT General Secretary said, Teachers are suffering, not only from the cost of living crisis, which the whole country is grappling with, but 12 years of real terms pay cuts, which has left a 20% shortfall in the value of their salaries. If the government and the pay review body reject a positive programme of restorative pay awards for teachers, then we will be asking our members whether they are prepared to take national industrial action in response. The government wrongly assumed teachers would simply stand by as they erode pay and strip our education system to the bone. But this weekend, thousands of teachers from every corner of the UK joined together to demonstrate our strength, unity and determination to stand up and to fight back. Our message is clear and has now been delivered directly to the government on their doorstep. We will not allow cuts to our members' pay and attacks on their pensions. If a pay rise is not awarded, it will be won by our members in workplaces through industrial action. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, in this week's Two Minute Tech, we're going to look at how smart is a smart pen. Smart pens and notebooks are a bit of tech that make your handwritten notes become more useful and more importantly, digitally accessible. There are three main technologies used, app-based, image capture-based and real-time capture. Today is a look at the thinking process you can apply when looking at a new gadget. Obviously, the first decision I always make is not going to be considered. That being, is it a gadget? Yes, then I need it. Throughout this, the trusty spreadsheet will assist to calculate cost. Going as cheap as possible, I found a diary and 10 pens delivered for $5.99. So that is my baseline. If I wanted an academic planner, the baseline would obviously increase. So, 
What's the next cheapest but digital option? I found a reusable wipe clean diary. This is a few different formats, but a decent one I saw was a calendar template on one side and a line template on the other. Both were wipe clean. You downloaded an app on your phone to take a picture. The app recognized the diary entries and the handwriting and then converted it to digital. There's a lot of different makes on the market, so do compare and read reviews. A guide price would be around 40 pounds and a quick calculation in my spreadsheet says it would take six years to match the cost of a cheap diary my question there is will it last that long also at this point it is worth noting that there are free apps out there that let you do the same with your ordinary diary so really the cheapest way to go digital is to use a free app and take a picture of what you already have if you still want a new gadget your decision may depend on if you feel a big lump of plastic is more environmentally friendly or you prefer the features of the capture app that's being used over a free one the final technology is real-time note-taking. Now, when I saw this, I instantly needed one. Then I remembered I type everything or use voice capture for meeting, so I'd never use it. However, that is not a reason not to want one. This more expensive tech uses a special pen and notebook and communicates in real time with an app so you can see what you're writing on screen as well as in the book. Also, like the others, it will recognize handwriting and convert to digital characters to allow pasting into other applications. At £110 for a notepad, the pen and the app, it isn't cheap, taking 18 years to break even and with the cheapest replacement notebook costing £16 as well, this will actually never break even. In conclusion, I recommend you stick to your diary and find an app you like to capture it. Or if you have a laptop with touchscreen, you probably can do all of this anyway. For me, smart pens are not that smart when it comes to price. You do get what you pay for, though. Do you have a smart pen? Why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022 and follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech? I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from London. This is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Afternoon, thank you for rejoining or sticking with us. It is the now 2.02 on Sunday the 26th of June and you're tuned into the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. If you've just tuned in, where have you been? Um, we've been talking about racial literacy and I'm about to be joined by Nisi, who's going to talk about a very important thread that she posts on managing allegations of racism in schools. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash ttradio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag ttradio. Boom. And we're back for the last stretch. Got about just under 30 minutes to go. Um, Nisi, I've, I apologize for mispronouncing your name for the last hour. I'm now hopefully pronouncing it correctly. When you're ready, can you call in? Um, because you've done me a solid. You've actually agreed to come on the show because your thread is what inspired this entire show in the first place. If you'd have no idea what thread I'm talking about, uh, Nisi, the, well, the first tweet in the thread was around, well, I've lost it now, where is it? First tweet in the thread was, when a student calls a teacher racist, the incorrect response is to start yelling that that's a serious accusation and put them in exclusion. Then it ends up being a thread. And this struck a massive chord with me because we actually had a situation like this in school very recently that was brought to kind of, to, that I became aware of. And on the same day, I read uh, Nisi's thread on it. And it was just very, I think that was a sign. 
I took it aside to say, you know what, I need to discuss this. Um, because it happens, all, not all the time, it happens across the country. Yeah, it happens across the country where students of whatever background um, have called or accused a member of staff of being racist. In there, that's their like. That's what they would say. Kid, oh, you're being racist, or she's racist, or whatever else. Or he's racist. That's what they say. And then what Nisi has done is put her thoughts and ideas and opinions on how it should or shouldn't be dealt with by members of staff. Uh, Nisi, if you press that, you you called him correctly before, and then I tried to bring you in, but it was I did it too slowly. So if you press that great call in button at the bottom, you should be able to call in. I should be able to bring you in. Um, if you have any tech issues, just let me know, and then I can just. Keep speaking. It should now work, hopefully. The moment of truth. Boom, there we go. Nisi, hello. 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 Hi, can, can you hear me? I can hear you, yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah, we're good. Hello, welcome back. I say welcome back because you've been on the show before. Yes, I have during my PGCE year. Back in the day. What? Hold on, which year? Was that your first... When, when was this now? First year, was it your first trade? When, when was this? 2020 what? 2020 or 2021? Last year, 2021. Last, okay, fair enough. How are things? Long time no speak. How are things going? Things are going okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> things are going okay. I think <laughs> uh, now that I'm... doesn't sound very convincing, but go I'm, on. I think now that I'm fully in control of all of my classes, it's a lot of work. Um, and I think the hardest part about teaching is everything else like mm. the issues with race and i just think it's quite emotionally taxing as well but aside mm. from that i am enjoying my job okay good well i'm glad yeah so you're you're fresh fresh in the role i mean we spoke we i can't remember what the name of our show was but i think it was to do with being a, a pgce student looking for i can't remember what it was about but i'm it glad to hear as well it was, was it we spoke... well. ah okay yeah well. so during my PGCE I well I didn't personally experience but I watched or saw ah, yes, a lot yes, of racism yes, 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 yes. that's the one that's the one that's the one okay yeah that's what that you rank I've done far too many shows and I could not remember what they're all about um, but if you want <laughs> if you did ever want to listen back you should be able to find it if you go to www.ttradio.org forward slash listen back if you just search my name and then you search Nisi's name uh, which is n-i-s-s-i-e it should the 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 website should be able to bring up that specific episode because I can't remember what it was called, but that should be able to bring it up. So this thread, did you expect this thread to, to blow? No, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I was just about to tweet my thoughts. I didn't really, and nothing in particular triggered it. Um, it was just a series of things I'd seen happen over time. Mm. Um, and I just was like, let me tweet about this. So I didn't expect it to reach where it did. I have people from everywhere DMing me um, about the thread. So no, I don't. What are they, what are they saying? Um, I'm getting a lot of thank yous um, from staff. It's mainly things like, thank you for helping me to realize where I was wrong. Now I'm going to reflect and change, or I'm going to feedback to our senior leadership teams. And from like students, it's things like, I feel seen, I feel heard. Um, thank you for voicing this because I didn't know how to articulate what I was experiencing. Mm, that must feel good. That must feel quite good then. It does. Um, yeah. Because I, again, I didn't expect anything from it. Yeah. Fair enough. So yeah, just to, just explain 
Um, I will obviously let you speak on it because it's yours. But just explain for people that are listening, if you haven't read the thread, um, it's, again, the first tweet on it was, it's all around if a student or when a student calls a teacher racist. And what Nisi said at the beginning is the incorrect response is to start yelling that that's a serious accusation and then essentially sanction them for making a malicious accusation against member staff. Because what what Nisi is saying, I'm going to let her speak on it in a moment, is there there's a much this needs to be handled in a in a much better way um, rather than saying, no, you can't you can't call a teacher that you can't accuse teachers of that. And we need to sanction you because that's a malicious accusation that you shouldn't be wavering against any teacher in school. Is, it's not correct to be doing that. So what what inspired this? And then start talking through the thread. What advice are you giving? What what's your what's the main or the most salient points you want any educator that's listening right now to think, well, what should I do then? So a kid's called me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if a kid's called me racist. What should I do? Because I'm not racist, mm-hmm. so what should I do then? So what would you say to a, a teacher listening back who's asking themselves okay, so that question? In terms of what inspired it, I start the thread speaking about my own experience and how there was a time where I called a teacher racist and the automatic response was very defensive. It was, don't call me that, how dare you call me that? That's a serious accusation. You're going to be excluded. All of these things that she was saying to me and... In that moment, because I was a very good student, I did not want to be excluded. So I just said sorry and left it. Um, but looking back and seeing some of the experiences I'm, I'm watching students go through, what she said was racist. Um, and I don't think she realized it herself. So that's what kind of inspired me to start. And in terms of what, advice, I would give. What did she, can yeah, I just can I pause? Because um, what did she say? Because in your actual um, thread, in your thread, I don't think you you went into any detail about your experience. You said that she was being racist on reflection, but what was yeah. what was actually said or done or whatever else at the time by the teacher? It was a bunch of micro microaggressions. So it would be small things like mispronouncing people's names and not really caring to correct it. And then it would be, no matter how many times I would correct her. And then it would be a thing of, oh, you're, you're allowed these loud black girls or if we were in a group it would be this gang of people Mm. um this is the kind of language she was using um and it wasn't just her that there was another teacher who used to call as soon as there were a group of five or more black kids this is a gang gang. and it's it's like why are you using this language you need to think about the reason why you're using this particular term to describe us um so that's what kind of led to me yeah. tweeting about this i've experienced that i don't know how many other, other people in the room i when i was growing up they called us they they called our group of gang as well um and we were the most this we, we went to like a, a a grammar school i went to a grammar school um and there was a, there weren't many of us but we were definitely labeled as as a gang and they just oh they and that's the thing they didn't mean it in um they weren't saying oh we think this group is now involved in criminal behavior and blah 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 mm-hmm. but they're but they're natural the first word they thought of when they saw a group of black kids just being together was oh, that gang over there um, rather than mm-hmm. one just call one just call us a group because we're a group and I've had to challenge I've had to pull staff up on that as I've gone through my career um being like just have interest um not even not even just have interest I like, please don't use the word gang they're not a gang they're a group um because a gang is someone in, is a group involved in criminal activity and the last match they weren't so please do not use it so I've challenged that but that that obviously that came with not even experience, but that was when I was in. A, I just had to challenge it. That was in my own job many, many years ago. Um, but yeah, no, I, mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying. Um, so I, I get that. 
So then go on. Sorry, I know I interrupted you. Oh, it's okay. Um, what did you want me to clarify after that? Yeah, so sorry. Yeah, so that the next bit was around. So if a teacher is listening um, and mm -hmm. they're a victim, well, I say victim, they've been accused of being racist. So a child has said, ah, oh, a child's under been given a detention. They say, ah, oh, miss, sir, you're racist. What should, in your mm -hmm. opinion, a teacher do in that situation? I think the first thing to do is to ask, what have I said that is racist or what have I done that is racist? Um, because a lot of the times, if you haven't said or done anything racist, the child doesn't really know. Um, and I think one thing to also remember is that children say this to black teachers as well. I've yeah. had students say, oh, is it because I'm black? Why are you saying this, miss? Is it because I'm black? And then I stop them and I say, what about it relates to you being black? These are the school rules. This is how you've broken them. Now tell me how it links to your race. Mm -hmm. And then they suddenly go quiet because I remind them in every school, when you start in year seven, you sign a homeschool agreement with a list of all the rules. You are breaking these rules. So what has it got to do with race? Mm -hmm. If you can guide them through that step-by-step -step of linking whatever they've done to the school rules and then showing them how it doesn't link to race, then that diffuses the situation. But if you become defensive, then, they start shouting too, and now you've done nothing. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, the defensive bit. And I think it's the the word itself. The reason why people do get defensive is because the word itself is so, it's just a, like being a racist is loaded with the most abhorrent connotations, essentially. Mm -hmm. So, and the issue, if, if kids of, I don't know, year seven, year eight, year nine, whatever age, were able to articulate themselves better, they would probably not use the word racist. What they would say is, sir, miss, madam, whatever you want to call it, I think you may be harboring some unconscious, <laughs> like, I, do you know what I mean? I feel like if a child, yeah. if a child was as eloquent or knew, knew enough at that age, they may say mm -hmm. things like, sir, miss, madam, I think this decision you've made or the way you interact with me mm -hmm. in some shape or form is influenced by um, how you perceive me and how yeah, you've, um, and do you know what I mean, as opposed to yeah. a racist, I think you mm -hmm. are influenced, I think the way you are interact with me is influenced by the color of my skin. And I think you may have some, some biases is, that you're not sorry aware to of. You. No, go on, no, go on. Sorry to interrupt you. I think this is the problem, right? So I explain it in my thread, but kind of like what we were talking about in the first half of the show, not every black teacher or black person understands or can articulate the language surrounding race people often forget that this is academic. So mm. it just trickles down into social media, but the language surrounding race and diversity and equality and all of these things, decolonization is academic talk. So you have to have read or researched to understand these terms such as microaggressions, racism, white privilege, um, white fragility. If you haven't researched, even as a black adult, you probably can't articulate this either. And that's the problem a lot of black children are seen as as adults um, and I speak about the adultification of black children and how oh you're attacking me is usually the, the response when they are a child who first of all as teenagers can't really process or express their emotions anyways mm. and then when you throw in the complications of the very um, I guess challenging topic of race it's, it's hard for them to explain what you've done or why you've wronged them. They just yeah. feel wronged in a way. Yeah. 
No, I agree. They feel they feel wronged. And I had a very I had a very powerful conversation with a a colleague recently, um, and this this is a white male colleague. And what he said was really powerful to me. He said because he was he was talking about this whole issue where a te- a, a student um, had called a called a teacher racist. And what he said was, children look they observe things that happen in the news or if obviously George Floyd is the most pertinent thing that comes to mind in the last few years but they observe things mm-hmm. that happen in the news or on social media or wherever where there is mistreatment and mm-hmm. where the only explanation for why there's been discriminatory discriminatory treatment is down to race because you're thinking well the only difference in these two circumstances was that one person was black and one person was white they've done the exact same thing they've been met they've been kind of if we're talking about police, for example, they've, they've got the exact same scenario where one person mm-hmm. one person was black and this happened, another person was white and this happened, or not black, whichever race it was, and they've been treated differently. Mm-hmm. And I can't see mm-hmm. any other reason why that's happened. So what if kids, are, and what the guy said was, if kids are seeing this, where they see wrong people being wronged, and the only justification that we can conclude is with race, what they naturally do, unfortunately, is they take that into school as well and think, hold on, well, I've been treated differently to someone else but we've Mm -hmm. done the same we've done the same thing i can't see any other reason why that would be the case in my kind of 11 year old 12 year old mind so i'm Mm -hmm. only thing i can say is must it must be do with racism and that's what that's what Mm -hmm. and and that's what he's saying is like i get why they might go to that and then i came back to him and i said no i understand but what kids don't what kids don't realize well not don't really what the bit they don't comprehend is children often they clean slate everything so a new it's a new day everything's a new day for a child so what i mean by that is if you have a black child for example that has been a bit disruptive in lessons on a monday tuesday wednesday thursday um and then on the friday this same child i don't know maybe like a a, it's the same child threw a pen and then maybe a non-black child threw a pen as well and the teacher Mm -hmm. was like came down harder on the black child than the non-black child as far as the black child's concerned they're thinking hold on we've done the same thing why are you coming down harder on me it must be because Mm -hmm. of my race because they're not black however what the child won't often comprehend until you bring it to them is not on a hold and just think really you have misbehaved four days in a row what human Mm -hmm. nature does is we are we are creatures of habit patterns and we're influenced by stuff we've experienced and we and if you have misbehaved for me four times in a row. If you do it a fifth time after I've told you four times not to do it, I'm going to be more annoyed at you than someone mm-hmm. who's doing it the first time. Yeah. It and may I seem like there's misbehaved. Go on. I try to explain this to kids. Um, I'm not like that in the sense that every new day for me is a new day. Um, but I try to tell kids, if you are badly behaved, you may feel like you're being targeted because teachers automatically... For example, there are kids who I see on the detention list every single day. I've never taught them. I've never met them, but I know their name because you have a detention every single day. So when I then teach you next year and you misbehave in my class, I've already got an idea of what kind of student you are. So they don't seem to realize that teachers are aware of this and teachers will react based on that. I get students say that all the time. Oh, they're picking on me. Well, you're always in trouble. Um, but I try to, to <laughs> yeah. I try to clean slate every single day because I don't think that's fair either. Agreed. When Agreed. we have to teach them that you can 
be, I guess, redeemed or come back from the mistakes you've made um, and not react based off of what they've done before. But I, yeah. I definitely understand why teachers react like that. Yeah, I think I've had this conversation with with students and I've, I've really I have to be open with them. I said, listen, we try. We want there to be a clean slate every day. We want there to be. However, we are influenced by things that have happened previously and it's innate like it's we're not even aware of it subconsciously mm-hmm. i'm already influenced by how you've behaved for the last four weeks so it is more Absolutely. difficult it is more difficult for me to clean slate everything when you've been mm-hmm. mucking about so and that when you explain to child like they do get it but in that moment they're they're in kind of inherent sense of justice and their own clean slate of hold on it's a new day you tell me it's a clean slate so we should all be treated the same when you combine those two, they're like, well, pff, you're treating me differently to someone else who's done the same thing. It's the exact same mm-hmm. situation, exact same teacher. I'm being treated this way, but they're being treated another way. I'm black, they're not. It must be because I'm black then. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? That, you know what I mean? That's their thought process. Yeah. And I get that, I get it, but we need to then teach, we need to educate them and they need to open their eyes. But at the same time, we do need to reflect on our own practice and think, am I actually being, am I clean slating every day? Am I actually, yeah. can I do more? Can I do more to clean slate every day? Am I being the person I want to be in the classroom? Am I, do you know what I mean? That's, I think we need to reflect yeah. as practitioners as well. Um, thank you for liking the but show, girl. Any, go on, go on, Nisi. This Nisi, is the sorry. problem. This is the problem with the whole exclusion thing, right? I've observed people get excluded. Okay, fine. That's how you want to deal with it. What happens after? You have mm. not gone back to educate the child to say, here's why what you said is wrong. This is what racism looks like. These are the different types of racism. This is what a microaggression is. You've just excluded them. They have not learned from it. And rather than feeling like, okay, this is where I went wrong and said the wrong thing, they now resent you. They now think that the school system is out to get them. They now don't feel safe in school. They feel like if I bring up race, no one's going to listen to me. You haven't taught them anything by excluding them and then not teaching them anything. Mm. So that's how I see it. If you are going to exclude students for calling you racist, there has to be something after that. Yeah, no, agreed. And then on that, I know you, you said, you mentioned the word listening and that's that's kind of like, when I, when I was speaking to colleagues about this, that's the word I kept using in terms of how you deal with this. So if, if you are a teacher who has been accused of being racist, you need to create a space and it might, the time won't be in that lesson then and there. It'll be a separate time. Maybe with, if you want to have another member of staff present, you can, or it could be one-on-one, it's fine. But the, the way you deal with it is one from a, from a listening perspective. And the same way you do with like any kind of potential safeguarding concern, like it's what's happened, what has happened to, to make you feel that way? As opposed mm-hmm. to, I know you, you use the question, um, what have I done? But I, all, I already feel like that question is too loaded. I feel like it's mm-hmm. too, like if you say, what have I done to make you feel that? It depends on how you say it. You can say, oh, what have I, like, let me know what I've done to make you feel that way. Or you can say, what have mm-hmm. I done to make you feel that way? And I feel like the latter, if you say it with a latter twang, it can come off still a little bit um, accusatory when we just want to be open-armed and say, yeah. talk, talk me through what's happened to mm-hmm. make you feel this way and allow the child mm-hmm. to speak. What will often happen, I predict, is the child will often say, I was annoyed and I feel like you've been unfair because of X, Y, Z. And then you can say, mm-hmm. but more specifically, how, do you, how does that relate to, to race? Because you've used a term that's obviously to do with race. How does that relate to race? And what will likely happen is the child will say, no, nah, I was just annoyed. Like, actually, I don't think it's to do with my race. I was just annoyed about it. And I didn't know. Um, I feel like it's just unfair because of so- these reasons. 
And then you can allow them to see, right, okay, so there, there may have been some unfairness, and I apologise for making you feel unfair, making, it, making you feel like you've been unfairly treated. However, it's important that you don't attribute unfairness to your race as a kind of reaction mm-hmm. without realising that it has some... Some con- has has connotations, everything else, and it and it's loaded, and you need to teach kids that because. But then there will be situations where potentially there is a teacher who may have some biases and prejudice and everything else. It could happen here. Oh, we absolutely. say in safeguarding, what do you know what I mean? We say in safeguarding, it could happen here. It's exact same thing with racial prejudice from staff to kids. Of course, it happens. It happens in society, I mean, so it's going to happen. It's going to happen in schools. <laughs> from the response to the thread itself, there were many teachers who were against what I was saying and who were very like comfortable displaying their racist points of view. Um, I try to tell kids, being a teacher doesn't mean that this person is automatically a decent person. They may have their own prejudices or they may be someone who's quick to anger, et cetera, et cetera. Every person has their own character. Um, and being a teacher doesn't mean they won't be racist. Um, so yeah, it definitely can happen in a school. I've seen it in the thread. Yeah. What? What? Can you give an example? Oh, so sorry. Dale's come into the the chat. So Dale said, um, both parties, teacher and student respectively, also need to be ready to have that conversation. Otherwise, how productive and impactful will it be? Agreed. It can't be the te- like because because teachers obviously obviously they're human beings. They will they will ima- they will react emotionally to being accused of being racist. That's what often happens. Mm-hmm. They, they will they they and if if they are quite emotionally sensitive they'll they'll take it they'll take it offensively and then mm-hmm. if you're still currently offended by it now is not the time to speak to the child because you're going to focus on how it made you feel as a teacher as opposed to letting the child speak Agreed. do you know what i mean so if mm-hmm. you're if you're that staff member then allow yourself to feel offended cool why do you feel offended what is it that's made you feel offended cool come to terms with that when you're as what dale said which is correct when you're then ready to allow the child to speak because they're the most important thing you are not the most important thing in school yeah the child's the most important thing in school so when you're ready and find other conversation then it's time to do it you don't need to go and have it straight away what have i done to make you feel yeah. that way what have i done to like all that kind of stuff because it's going to be the focus will, will be on you rather than the child so i agree Dale. Yeah. um it needs to be done at the right time and you need and also seek like seek advice if you aren't sure how to have the conversation then don't have it yet speak to someone more senior or whatever else or so and it's asked what do you give have any advice on what to do in this situation and maybe they mm-hmm. can give you some some advice nice i think i feel like you were going to say something when i cut you off was i i don't remember i don't know, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> oh no i was um, going to ask what have people yes I was trying to find the comments. We only got a couple of minutes. I was trying to find the comments of people that were, what was the counter arguments that were being kind of lobbied at, not lobbied at you, but res- what were the responses that went against your your thread? What was being said mostly? Um, a lot of it was extremist nonsense. It was very much like, oh, this new generation of teachers are too soft and we should be um, you know, on the side of the teacher, things along those lines. Um, and then things like, oh, well, what if um, what if the student is actually being malicious and they just want to abuse the teacher? And I feel like nothing they said wasn't addressed in my um, thread already. Mm. So it was 
yeah, just extremist people, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. And Dell's Dell's come back and just said a short period of reflection from both parties can also make a positive difference, especially within the busyness of the school day. Agreed. And I think, yeah, what I when I did see some comments, they were saying, like you said, um, and and you even yeah, you acknowledge it. You said there are kids that would that will band about the the racist term to try and get a teacher in trouble, knowing full well that the teacher's not racist the teacher might just be telling them off and it's not to do with the, the color of their skin and there will be those situations and then they get they get dealt with appropriately but however because that happens sometimes or most of the time doesn't mean you can now just change your approach to every so like every instance you still need to allow the child even if you in the back of your mind you think this is a child that is just trying to be malicious still let them explain absolutely. it because it, it will come out in their explanation it will come out in the explanation do you know I mean? you'll be able to filter quite easily whether this is someone who's actually noticed a pattern where, I don't know, around at social time, they stand closer to the, to the, the group of Asian kids or they, they, they always follow the group of white kids or they always like, don't, you can, kids notice things and you'll find out by yes. talking to them whether they've actually, this has been born out of patterns, trends that they've observed or whether it was a mm -hmm. knee jerk response to being annoyed in the situation ah oh, oh, you're racist man whatever man you're sexist man all that kind of stuff um mm -hmm. but yeah it was a very listen we got to wrap it but that was a very a very very important thread i'm glad it got the the exposure it deserved hopefully it's opened a lot of people's minds and eyes to how they respond in these instances because it's not I about it's not i hope it has and i think it has you never know the power of these things, but it's, had, it's been retweeted 919 times, 4,825 likes, 128 quote tweets. You've essentially gone viral. <laughs> You've blown up. You've blown up um, on Twitter. But Nisi, listen, thank you for agreeing to come on at such short notice. I know I just jumped in your direct messages on, on Twitter and just said, can you do it? Because it just, yeah, I just wanted to talk about it. So thank you for coming on short notice. And I hope you've enjoyed or well, the discussion and the show the, the mm -hmm. first part of the show as well so thank you anytime yes i appreciate it i appreciate it thank you i want to do i'll disconnect you now and we'll pretty much wrap up the show from here again thank you for everyone that was talking in the chat contributed sent in messages um the first part of the show all about trying to promote a culture of racial literacy in schools and a way to do that it's not been a show with all the answers. Hopefully it's been a show that's been a bit more thought provoking about your own practice or the practice of your colleagues or what you can talk to people in schools about. There is a definite gap. I feel like there is a need. We have a lot of adults working in schools that are not racially literate and that's okay because that like, it's okay for now. It's not okay to not want to do anything about it. <laughs> um, because like, if you haven't encountered it, why would you know? And if you haven't done the educate, you haven't looked into the research like Nisi was saying, it's academic stuff. If you haven't actually found out yet, I'm not going to blame you, but I hope there's a lot of people that want to be better and want to be more, want to be upskilled in the difference between racism and prejudice and what, what right, white privilege means and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And if the profile is to be raised in schools, then there needs to be people that take ownership of it and there needs to be training on it. And the one takeaway I'd say for any member of staff listening if you're ever going to have a conversation about race, especially if it involves you and people of a different race, you don't need to be the font of all knowledge. You just need to be a facilitator. You need to be able to ask the questions and make them think and ask them, ask questions and be open and be listening. You don't need to be the one that talks the whole time. 
Yeah, let them speak, let them express themselves. We have a listening culture of safeguarding. We should have a listening culture with all things to do with race because it's it's just as important. And on that note, thank you very much for listening. Um, thank you, Dell. And yeah, it's food for thought for everyone. We're going to wrap it there and I'll catch you guys potentially next week or the week after. I can't remember if I'm on next week or not. But this has been the Sunday Lunch Show. I have been Khalil Rouse. If you want to interact with me on Twitter, it's at Khalil underscore R91. Or you can just interact with Radio at large on at TT Radio 2022. There is another show coming up later on today at 8 o'clock. So please tune in for that. Adios. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.